Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. District of Conservation is sponsored by Real Camo Girl. It's a lifestyle brand focused on ladies who love the great outdoors. Through the website and social media platforms, they offer a safe space where the ladies can share their pictures, stories, wild game, and fish recipes, and news articles about conservation and hunting perspectives. I've served as a pro staffer of theirs since September 2016. It's been two years, and I've learned it's a network of women who love fishing, hunting, and the outdoors in general. Women come from all sorts of backgrounds, experience levels, and regions throughout the United States, it's a welcoming environment, and should you choose to be involved, especially if you're a lady, you will really enjoy it. So be sure to check out Real Camo Girl at www.realcamogirl.com and follow them across social media. Welcome to Episode 8 of District of Conservation. Today, our episode will feature Aaron Crooks of Raise Em Outdoors, the Virginia Beach-based nonprofit that works very closely to get kids involved in hunting, fishing, and shooting sports. So Erin and I, a little backstory as to why I selected her, we became acquainted over social media and formally met in January of 2017 at SHOT Show when we were both involved at Real Camel Girl. She has since left the organization but is still kind of plugged in that realm. But she has a very good cause at her hands. I've talked a lot about my involvement with the recent Virginia Beach Camp, and I think you guys are going to be really motivated to get kids involved, or even your kids, if you have kids of your own, involved in the great outdoors by listening to this. So check out episode eight with Aaron Crooks, and let us know how you feel about it. For episode eight of District of Conservation, I am so thrilled to be joined by my friend, an awesome outdoor advocate, Aaron Crooks. So many of you have seen on social media what Erin has been up to. I was a volunteer and fishing captain at her recent Raise Them Outdoors camp. She does a lot for the outdoor industry and doesn't get the proper due, but I think more and more people are recognizing her for her efforts to get more kids involved in the outdoors. So Erin, I appreciate you coming on District of Conservation after doing Sports Women Out of Know and, and many other things. Yeah, no, I thank you. I actually appreciate you for um, always, you know, reaching out to me and wanting to share about Raise Them Outdoors. So that means a lot to me. Absolutely. So you are not a native Virginian. I remember from all our conversations, you're much like me. And I feel like a bunch of people to our state uh, that that were transplants. transplants. So talk a little bit about your upbringing and then how your finding opportunities to fish and hunt in our state and the surrounding area. So talk a little bit about how you got involved in the outdoors, where's home, that kind of deal. Um, so I grew up in Oregon. Um, and you know, that question of how you got involved in the outdoors is always a little tricky for me. Cause I feel like I just kind of grew up in the outdoors. You know, we grew up 30, 45 minutes from town, you know, and, uh, my parents were always super outdoorsy. My grandparents always took us fishing. We always went mm-hmm. to hunting camp. Um, you know, whether it was riding four wheelers with sand dunes, like we were just is I think it was just our lifestyle. Um, and for me, 
though I guess when I became my own sportsman or whatever you want to call it when I really got involved into it was I got really into fishing in high school um which was a plus side for me because I was actually a really bad kid I guess (laughs) in high school if that's what you want to call it Um, oh no and once I kind of started started to straighten up it was about the same time that I got into fishing and then later on and I always like I loved fishing the rivers trout fishing was my favorite thing and then in my 20s, I moved up to Kodiak, Alaska. And I had lived up in Alaska in high school a little bit, too, because my dad logged up there off and on. And so, but that was Southeast Alaska that I lived in. And I moved up to Kodiak, I think I was 24, 25 when I moved up there. And that's just a whole different experience. Um, so... I fell even more in love with fishing. I learned how to fly fish. I became a deckhand on a charter boat. So I got into ocean fishing um, and I had started to hunt a little bit in Oregon in my twenties and then moving up there, uh, you know, it's, it's a different world. So I really got into hunting more when I got into Alaska, like really like fell in love with hunting up there. And then I moved to Virginia. I think we've been here for six years, maybe going on seven years now. And it was, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a shock to come from Pacific Northwest to move to Virginia. And, you know, you want to, I come from like being in the mountains in my backyard, literally my entire life. Um, and lots of public land and lots of opportunities for hunting and fishing and here, not knowing anything. Um, and we're really not close. I think you're closer to me to like the national forests and stuff like that. So I'm in Virginia Beach now, which is it's a pretty big, I don't know what you, you wouldn't call it a city, but it's like a city. And then the whole region is what I've learned is called Tidewater or Hampton Roads. It has many titles, right? But it's a big area. It's your, your city is pretty. It's actually the Virginia beach is the largest city in Virginia. Oddly enough, it's about 300 something thousand people. Okay. So it is kind of a city. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in it's, um, there's, I've, I've learned a little bit more about fishing here. You know, we got into bass fishing, which I never did. Um, we got into kayak fishing and whatnot hunting. I have still yet to hunt anywhere around Virginia Beach. So I actually go down to North Carolina. And I I got lucky that I had a friend up in Alaska who was a Navy Seabee, and he used to live here. And so he hooked my family up with uh, places that he used to hunt. And now we go down there and hunt his old hunting grounds. Excellent. But I would love to get up, um, you know, to the Shenandoah area and um, just kind of explore our public lands in Virginia for sure. Especially after talking to um, Amelia and Daniel at the last yeah. camp. Uh, they definitely taught me a lot about the resources we do have in Virginia that I had no clue about. We do amazingly have about 17% of public land. There, there should be opportunities. I'm just worried about the crowds. I don't know how prevalent those so-called crowds are that's kind of what deterred me from doing it right now maybe in a few years time I'll be able to do it uh, but I think a lot of people settle for public land hunting and you can easily do it with uh, white-tailed deer as you know because they swarm everywhere I yeah. see deer all the time right <laughs> up here it's like they're like a nuisance almost so right uh, they give I mean they give you quite a few tags 
Um, yes. If I'm correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think with, I don't know if this is off subject, but I think with public hunting, public land hunting anywhere mm-hmm. to get away from being around a ton of people, you have to get away from where you can just park your car or drive. Right. Because <laughs> so many people don't venture very far from there. Mm-hmm. pickup I've learned um because I just did a hunt in Oregon and it was a it was on public lands it was a draw system tag mm-hmm. you know but the side of the mountain that we hunted my dad and my brother had been hunting there for a long time my dad's been hunting around there I mean we used to go there as little kids to deer camp um and last year they were talking about how nobody was they didn't see any other hunters and this year it was insane, and it was because of so much of the access roads had been shut down. Hmm. And so this was the only place where they still had people had access roads to that side of the mountain. Um, and most people don't get out of their pickup. A lot of road hunters, and or they'll get out, and they'll just kind of hike over where they can glass. And I had, there was, I mean, there was quite a few times that I was hiking... Um, I'm just kind of like side hilling on the mountain, but I look, there's a road below me, you know, and I can see a pickup that's glassing up to where I'm at, even though there's deer between the two of us. So, you know, that could definitely, it could be a little sketchy. It's a, it, it's pretty frustrating. It becomes a bummer, you know, and I just, oh. I get myself out of those situations when I'm in them, you know, find a different place to hunt. But so I don't know what it's like in Virginia, if it's the same or what, but I had found as an Oregon, I was like, okay, if I just walk in today, wherever I'm at, I, you know, I didn't have to deal with as many people. I felt a lot safer, I guess. Yeah. Caitlin and Aristotle told me when we went duck hunting that the war to claim a duck blind in Virginia is crazy. People will set each other's blinds on fire, torch them, make threats, do this, say they're going to kill people. It's so bizarre. From so it depends, I guess, on the type of hunting you do. But the folklore is that the the waterfowlers in tidal Virginia, tidewater Virginia, <laughs> tend to be a little crazy, and they're very overprotective about newbies coming in, right, right. surveying the area. So that's something we'll have to <laughs> keep in mind if we want to do duck hunting on the coast. Although by the river up near me it's not as tense really from what i've heard so far oh yeah if um there's actually what is it i think like 20 minutes from me i learned there's like a there is a national wildlife refuge i think Occoquan, and then it's like pohick bay there's good it's good for shed antler hunting and then also good for waterfowl uh, i think mallards and some of the scooters scooters i forget what the, the type the, the ones with the interesting bills uh, and, and some other, not sea ducks, but some other like freshwater ducks that reside up there. But it hasn't been as crazy from what I've heard as, as it is down by the coast where you are. So yeah. I guess it depends on the species and the time and the season. So it's funny. But I think depending upon what type of public land hunting it is, some can be in more demand and bring out the crazies and others are not so in demand. But right, right. I think, but, that, I think have, that's what you have a lot of people in maybe not the biggest area. You know, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it can be, it can be pretty, which is too bad. So that's actually like kind of a turnoff for a lot of people and make them not, yeah. to, you know, go out and do they that. They don't want to do public land. No, right. they would just go hunt on private land without uh, the trouble that comes with it. Right. And I, I guess it's more cost effective and they have the landowners and 
I, I mean, it's the, the, the yeah. Yeah. The, the private landowners, I mean, I know with certain groups in our state, they do a pretty good job of fixing that problem. But uh, I think the private model works. I don't know if they're going to convert more land to public or public land in Virginia just because of how the state is oriented. Uh, but I think they want to work to make it easier for access. And they've actually, uh, with the Game and Inland Fisheries, have made like wildlife management area hunts more available uh-huh. to people. Uh-huh. So like you could do a turkey hunt like close to you. I could do a turkey hunt in the Prince William County area and some wildlife refuge over there. So they're trying to, I guess, make it easier and make certain hunts uh, easier to enter lotteries for. Right. So I think we just have to follow our game in inland fisheries more closely. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> sure. I know. I, I definitely want to. Um, mm. I'm going to start paying more attention to that because I, yeah. I, mean, I try to get over to the eastern shore to deer hunt this year so yes it'll be my first time hunting in Virginia six Yay. Yeah. yeah finally <laughs> woot, woot. no I still need to do my first whitetail hunt maybe later I'm told later this winter that may happen but we'll see uh so I want to segue into Raise Them Outdoors I think many more people have been discovering your organization discovering what you've been up to, uh, given your involvement. And it's a Virginia-based nonprofit. People don't know that. They think it's, I mean, it's a national organization, but you've headquartered it in Virginia Beach, which is very cool. Correct. It's good that we, yep. we, ha- we have more organizations in our state. So talk about the process, what led you to start it, how long it's been in business, and what your goal is with it, too. Um, it's, it's funny, because I think most people actually think it's an Oregon because yes. <laughs> you've had uh, those camps up there yeah yeah that's our biggest camp so raise my outdoors i guess we have been going for just a little over two years now maybe we're coming up on two years um and this it started as there's two programs um we have outfit a kid which is how raise my outdoors started and that's where we collect new and used outdoor gear and then we send care packages to families. Basically, across the U.S., we've sent uh, care packages to Canada as well. And people can write in. Um, there is a application process on the website. And so kids can write in or parents or we've had neighbors write in for, you know, someone that lived down the street. Um, and it, it's really for families who want to get their kids into the outdoors and maybe they need help getting the fishing rod or maybe they need some warm gear for, you know, winter hunting and so on. And they kind of just write a little essay and let us know a little bit about themselves and their kids. If we have it, we'll put together a care package. If we don't have it, we put them on a wait list. Hmm. Um, And that was just an idea, really. Uh, My sister had reached out to me three or four years ago to help her collect fishing rods for a local place in North Carolina that gave them away during Christmas. And so it just stemmed from that until I was like going through my garage and I was, you know, I collect a lot of stuff over the years and I don't use a lot of it. And I was like, well, you know, I, I'm a hoarder of gear myself. I need to get rid of this. And I, could, <laughs> I could pass this along to somebody um, else who could use it and would appreciate it instead of it sitting in my closet or whatever. And so yeah, so it's been it's been good. Sometimes it'll be really quiet. We don't get any requests or donations for a while and then it just seems to go crazy. So um I guess after that started, that was 
it just I was one day sitting with a friend and they were they asked me I guess the same question where do you want to go with racing outdoors and I had talked about that I wanted to eventually do a, a camp and I always thought maybe a destination camp or something along those lines to have kids get the opportunity to learn alongside their parents uh fishing shooting sports archery learn about hunting the different methods of hunting and so on and um it just one I was like okay I'm gonna do a camp in Oregon and I did a radio show that was in the Pacific Northwest and I couldn't believe it within like four hours I had 75 kids signed up for the first camp and I was like well <laughs> we actually have to put this camp on now so or figure this out ASAP and the first camp was pretty crazy. I, I, you know, not that I know what I'm doing now, but we pulled it off in about three months. Um, and that was in Oregon. And it, it was a great time. And I decided back then I was like, I want to do this in every state. Uh, I'd love to. Ambitious goal. <laughs> yes. But I realized how hard it is to put on one camp last this year. We put on three camps. We did one in Texas, one in Oregon. The one in Oregon was our biggest. Uh, we had 80 kids. So we had well over 200 people. Wow. With volunteers, all the parents come. We had a long range shooting course. We had skeet shooting. We had archery. We had a 3d archery course. Um, we had BB guns, 22 shooting. We had fishing, you know, we had a pond stocked with trout, you know, we had tons of lunkers in there. So the kids had a blast. We, you know, we did a big cookout with all the trout and stuff. So it was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was, it, it was really cool. Um, so that's, that's, I guess the goal is to, to make at least right now, because I know how hard it is to put on these three camps and just the equipment mm -hmm. and the manpower. Cause what, what I really discovered this year, what makes these camps is the volunteers. So how passionate the volunteers about are about the outdoors and uh, passing that along, you know, they, I think just naturally when you get people who are super passionate about the outdoors, it, it, it comes, they want to pass it along to kids. You know, they like teaching it. They like talking about it. And so, and that really shows, and that just makes a huge difference when it comes to teaching these kids and their parents and stuff. And they have such a great time. And so with, I just couldn't do it without those people. Like you and your dad were, yeah. were a huge hit at the Virginia camp, you know? Oh my gosh. I remember all the kids are saying, Mr. Boris, Mr. Yeah. Boris. <laughs> yeah. And they, even, all, even all the parents were like, who is, oh, who they were that? wonderful, are they? you know? The guys were really, really good with their kids. It was so heartwarming to see them bonding over fishing, food, campfires. No, it was such a wonderful camp. And I, I mean, a lot of your camps are not really geared towards the military, but given your position being in Virginia Beach and you interact with these families, your your husband's active military, all that kind of stuff, you felt it was good to kind of get those kids roped in that way too with the recent camp. Right. So Virginia, I wanted to have two camps here this year and it just didn't work out because we couldn't find a location big enough for uh, to have a camp open to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so we did have a place that wanted to host a military camp. Um, so, you know, just a military family appreciation camp, basically. So we did, we were able to host that one. Um, that was just for military families and it was on a lot smaller scale. 
but it was kind of nice. It's, it's nice when it's, it's by smaller. I think we had 35 kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's more intimate. The kids, you know, get a better chance. They get to learn more. They get more time with the instructors, you know, all the parents got to fish, I think. Uh, yeah. Most of them, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny with, with the military dads is, uh, you know, they all were shooting with their, with their, mm-hmm. with their kids. <laughs> that doesn't happen to a normal camp. Like the parents no. don't get a chance because we typically pair up with a shooting range and they bring their instructors in their own school and they are the teachers. And here, um, we had military, uh, folks as our instructors as well, but all these mm-hmm. dads, you know, they all know what they're doing and they got yeah. the chance to shoot with their kid and you don't, get that chance here not in virginia beach like we don't you can't go out in your backyard you can't go out in the mountains and go shoot no. with your kid unless you can't go to a shooting range with your kid until they're 12 mm-hmm. i believe and so you know these these parents were shooting 22s with their little kids and so that was pretty pretty cool to see yeah it was and they everyone seemed very calm and lynn and sherry were wonderful hosts they they just loved seeing it too. We, you had such magnanimous, gracious hosts to, to yeah. put on the camp too. They were really into it. And I think the parents were very happy because I know a lot goes on in their lives. And I think having that precious time with their child uh, proved to be very rewarding for them. And we were almost, remember, you were telling me, you were like, prepare because we don't know if the camp is going to happen due to the, hur- we had to worry about the hurricane. You poor right. thing, you, you had to deal with like, potential tsunami type weather <laughs> and thankfully right. it didn't turn out to be the case with hurricane florence yeah oh, but uh, although carolina got pummeled but thankfully it did not touch virginia beach so we right. were saved a little bit there right yeah i think that's why i think half the kids and half the instructors had to cancel last minute kind of because just all that craziness yeah they were worried <laughs> mm-hmm. for no reason but it's okay i understand you know right. some people aren't prepared for that kind of stuff right. <laughs> But yeah, it was pretty cool because especially in the military, I feel like um, the military parent often can miss out on a lot of things with their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> they don't get as many chances uh, as for weekends away with their kids or, you know, spend time. Because mm-hmm. even a lot of those guys are, you know, they're pretty outdoorsy themselves. Um, yeah. The, the moms they knew how to fish. Too. Right. But they, you know, it. they didn't have to leave town. Um you know, we, we were on that beautiful horse farm all weekend. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was, I definitely appreciated that. That whole camp was really cool. But so, and I, yeah, like I said, everybody loved you guys. Oh, no, we, we love it because I mean, my dad hooked me up to fishing and he's taught me how to do it. I still have some things to perfect, but I thought I was pretty, uh, helpful with the kids like landing big fish like I can't believe some of the kids caught like nice smallmouth largemouth all these different species so I I think we prepared them and equipped them well yeah <laughs> well like you dad, very good you dad yeah. knew like all about oh, yeah. all the species yeah. of fish and then yeah. he which was really Skinned neat is he got to, yeah it. he got to teach them all how to prepare the fish and then he cooked it he spent Daily, so yeah <laughs> He cooked all that fish. He spent <laughs> so much time cooking that fish. I couldn't believe it. It was good. It was really good. It was very delicious. Yeah, he he's a master chef, and he loves entertaining kids. So he's happy yeah. to pass it on. Yeah, pass on the tradition, what he's taught to me and, and anyone else who's fished with us. And he loves sharing the gospel of fishing <laughs> to anyone that comes to his Yeah, way. 
Yeah, well, it definitely shows. You know, and like yeah. I said, that those are the people that make a big difference at camp. Yeah, volunteers but, do. Yeah, and when it's you very true. when you really care about something or you're really passionate about it, it just shows. And, and that's what you know that helps pass it along to the next person. You know, they can if you have it in, again in the future, you have us committed again and yes. again. So if if that, yes. if that camp happens again next year, we'll, we're definitely down to come come again and help out. Yeah, it'll it'll definitely happen. And I hope awesome. I don't know where it might not be Virginia Beach for um, the camp that will be open to everybody. But mm-hmm. it'll definitely be in Virginia. I, I kind of just chose Virginia Beach because like you said, it's the largest area. Yeah, you know, we, we try to stick to being somewhat close to urban areas, um, you know, give those families a chance that don't necessarily didn't grow up that in the outdoors or maybe don't have the opportunity mm-hmm. to in their backyard or hunting in their backyard or shooting, et cetera, to be able to come to a camp like this. Yeah. It's important because every, I feel like with the, the development of this country, it's not a bad thing. I mean, you need some development, but I think sometimes it stretches to overdevelopment and a lot of people don't know that they can go fishing or hunting. So you, you have a goal, you would say, to kind of help people in urban areas through these. Is that kind of your goal well, for we, future we definitely, camps, too? We definitely want to stick at least, you know, in within a drivable. You could say, I'm going to mm-hmm. go take a weekend here. So it's an hour, hour and a half drive, hour drive, two-hour mm-hmm. drive, whatever it is, um, to urban areas. Because we want the opportunity. It's We have, I, I would say we have both traditional families and non-traditional families come to camp. And that mm-hmm. is my goal is to keep it uh, hopefully moving forward. That keeps happening because mm-hmm. you get these two people, two different types of people at camp and they meet and their kids make friends. I know at the Oregon camp, there was a couple kids that got opportunities that made friends with, you know, made new friends at camp and they got invited to go hunting on the new friends ranch where they don't have a ranch or they don't, you know, their mom didn't hunt or so on. And so they might not have gotten that opportunity. You know, now, now they have this new friend and new family that's inviting their family to come out. And so, you know, just kind of, it's just, hopefully that's what will keep happening, you know? So it's, it's pretty neat. Cause, Love it. Cause the outdoorsy people are definitely going to come. And so we hope that the people that are, you know, have a little interest want to get their foot in the door that they want to come. Mm-hmm. as well we can keep just like mixing everybody up and they can learn from each other yeah I I think a lot of the kids if they did I, I feel like a lot of them actually knew each other maybe their their parents are friends with one another but maybe some of the kids were uh new to one another at the Virginia Beach camp but it seemed like they got along and made some lifelong friends and, and yeah and enjoyed kids that are, too kids so, are so, so yeah so social you know what I mean yeah especially young yeah. at such a young age um yeah you know, and a lot of these camps, uh, especially like the one out in Oregon and stuff, I don't think we had cell service. So you never saw a kid on the phone. Like other kids had to mm-hmm. talk to other kids no matter what. Even the older Good. kids, you can be tend to be a little bit more reserved sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it really kind of helps bring people out of their shell, you know, and everyone's doing the same thing. And uh, Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what the problem is with not getting kids into the outdoors shortly but I wanted to ask also uh what camps do you have planned for 2019 because I know a lot of people have been requesting 
you to bring a camp to their state. Do you have anything concrete for 2019? Do you want people to request more camps and supplies and donations and all that too? Do you have anything kind of in your periphery yet? As far as outfitted kid, we're trying to expand that right now. And so I'm working on, um, like we're going to have a local event in Virginia beach here in two weeks, I believe where we're Mm going to be just setting out gear and families can come and basically shop for free to outfit their kids or even if dads and moms need stuff for themselves as well. And so that Mm -hmm. we're trying to kind of help expand local drop-offs across the nation. And that way we can do more local events where people actually just come and they can get gear or they can just go drop off gear instead of trying to spend a hundred dollars to, uh, you know, ship me a bunch of stuff and then I ship it and so on, but we're still doing Mm -hmm. that. So yes, if we still definitely want to keep doing that and, uh, keep helping out as many people, you know, across the nation that we can. And then when it comes to camps for next year, um, I know that we will do a camp in Oregon again, Oregon, uh, excuse me. And I think we'll do two camps in Oregon. So one will be back in central Oregon, where we had it last year, and then we will have one. I wanted to bring a camp to my hometown. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll do that every year, but we're definitely going to do it next year. So that will be on the coast of Oregon. Um, we will be close to Austin, Texas, I believe, in the spring. And then we will be in Virginia Beach with two camps or Virginia with two camps as well. Spring, Virginia and Texas will both – It's we're going to stick to spring and fall for those camps nice. just to stay away from because even this camp this last camp was hot <laughs> yeah it was yeah so we're gonna you know we want to try to make those the best as possible as far as requ- requesting camps i think right now what we're gonna try to do just because we really lack the manpower um mm-hmm. and supplies and everything um because last year i packed up a trailer and drove across country with my kid and my dog and all the supplies and that's how we were able to put on a camp for so cheap or free in all these locations because mm-hmm. I was driving everywhere with the supplies but I'm gonna have a new baby next year so yay I it's don't know how, yeah, how realistic <laughs> this is so what we're gonna try to do is have collect enough supplies to have in each state um and, and keep them there for every year but we want to kind of tie it in so we have the west coast we have the east coast you know Texas we'll call it south Mm-hmm. And then, so I would kind of like to do something maybe around, and I've had a lot of people in Wisconsin reach out. So yes, you or, totally or should. Iowa. So just around that region, just to kind of tie in um, the Midwest. Yeah. Right. So, so just kind of mm-hmm. tie it all in. And then as we expand, I wouldn't say for 2019, but after that, eventually the goal is to either have this in more regions or maybe someday every state if we were able to open a chapter in every state you you posted today on social media and we'll talk about social media now too but (laughs) I wanted to get your thoughts because you'd posted that your son had said in kindergarten class correct yep that that he likes hunting and the teacher gave a very negative response to that what was that about (laughs) yeah so I still need to talk to the teacher so I can get yeah you know because my son um can tell a lot of stories but uh he's a good yeah but he's a good storyteller he's never said anything like this so i'm um pretty leaning towards believing him um 
And I know that he likes to talk about our hunting stories, but he said that the teacher said that hunting is bad and to tell his, oh my. To tell his mom that hunting is bad. Oh, boy. <laughs> and so, you know, my initial reaction, I was like, well, Gus, I was like, what does your teacher eat for lunch every day? Because they all eat lunch together. Yeah. He's like, I don't know. I was like, okay, this is I, that conversation's not going to work with him. Um, and so I just kind of had to tell him, you know, because he's so young. And Gus is actually a pretty, can be a pretty sensitive kid. He's had a hard time uh, in school the last two years because he they diagnosed him they say uh with adhd and his teachers last few years he just got in trouble a lot um and so i he takes a lot of what his teachers say to heart and so i could tell he's a little concerned that another teacher you know thought it was almost it's almost like he's in trouble oh no hunting um and to tell his mom that hunting is bad so i at first i was just really mad (laughs) Um, yeah you should be livid yeah and then but I took the time and just kind of like well we like to hunt Gus you know and I said that's okay and people aren't gonna agree with that and like you're that's gonna as much as I can explain to uh, to my six-year-old that people aren't gonna agree and that that's okay you know you just need to tell them you know you don't agree but that's okay yeah you know and then we just we just kind of had a conversation about what we like about hunting so I I just wanted to help and, you know, make him feel comfortable about why we hunt when someone just made Mm -hmm. him feel uncomfortable about why we hunt. Um, and then as, as far as the rest of it, I'll be talking to his teacher. (laughs) Um, just, just because as I guess, as you know, a lot of people have said, um, you can't, as a teacher, you really shouldn't be pushing your personal beliefs. No, not at all. Um, on your kids in a classroom. And I know mm-hmm. that this happens on all sorts of subjects, especially yep. political stuff. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> and it's crazy that my kid's in kindergarten and that that happened already. But, you know, it, it's such a hard thing because I, I had quite a few people reach out to me and they're like, well, you shouldn't teach your kids to argue with the teacher and I'm like I never want to teach my kid to be disrespectful to his teachers whatsoever I don't you know want him uh I guess have his teacher necessarily target him um because yeah in kindergarten they shouldn't you're just supposed to be learning the ABCs right exactly (laughs) basic stuff Uh, right yeah basic stuff yeah not like a political showdown and where you yeah. stand on hunting Goodness, right it's changed right. since the 90s oh my gosh realize that i'd have a conversation with him about how even though we've had conversations you know like hey my friend sammy doesn't want to play this game he wants to play that game I'm like well you know can't always play that game so i felt like it was somewhat like that but it was crazy that it was about hunting especially when we go hunting all the time um you know, we hunt year round. You might not see it on social media all the time. I'm not the most successful hunter, but we are always uh, out there. And so that's, it's a big part of our life. Um, I mean, it's a Virginia thing. People go hunting here. They have since the 1600s when the state was founded. So you would think that if the teacher truly did express dismay with his answer, she should know Virginia colonial history that this has been a tradition, but not every, not everyone has to like it, but at least they could respect right, it. Right. Totally, totally respect it. Rather than I like, just yeah. thought she, yeah. even as if she was a, you know, whatever her reasons are, maybe she's ethical vegan or whatever, however they, sure. You know, whatever her reasons are could have been 
she could have done it so differently like said hey Gus maybe we don't want to talk about hunting right now because we're in class and we're learning you know she didn't have to put down hunting tell him it was bad in front of class um and to pass a message along to his mom (laughs) so yeah (laughs) that's pretty extreme if you ask me it's pretty crazy I I would have never expected that I but I grew up you know in a more rural area so I don't know if I would have ever encountered that growing up but but it made me think about it. I never just I never realized that my son would have to deal with that. I've honestly And this yes, early like, I've, I've, like high school right. I can understand, but in kindergarten, that's preposterous. Right. In Virginia too. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's a big it's it's this is a big city or town, whatever you want to call yeah. it. So mid sized area. All, you know, all walks of life, not everybody has the same beliefs, so it's just totally fine. But sure not 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 okay to push that agenda in a classroom so you're crazy (laughs) no well it'll be interesting to see what pans out from your discussion with her and if she gives you a chewing yeah yeah. (laughs) but you can handle her (laughs) I actually really I really liked her as a teacher so um so I'll be curious how the the talk goes Mm mm-hmm so something just as kind of interesting, like differing views, social media. We've talked a lot about this uh, through our friendship. We actually became friends because of social media and an online women's forum, Real Camo Girl and, and other outlets too, and our proximity to one another. But do you think social media has benefited the great outdoors, uh, helping to increase awareness, draw part- participation numbers up? Or do you think it's a complete waste of time? What are your thoughts on uh, social media being a vehicle to 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 get more people interested in our hobbies and interests i think it's both i i think it's good and Mm -hmm. bad um i definitely think that it draws has drawn a lot more in my just my guess my opinion has drawn more people into it um some people are very good about how they portray hunting um and I think it just is super appealing to people that aren't into it, but might be outdoorsy. And they're like, wow, that looks like a great adventure. And I would love to do something like that. You know, why not? I eat meat. And plus, I think uh, people are a lot more health conscious these days and aware of trying to be aware of where their meat comes from and stuff like that. Um, so I think on that side of things where you get like the foodies and or have help connected hunting, you know, with their with their food or you get the adventurous who want to try it and stuff like that. But then I Mm -hmm. also think, um, it's tough because not everybody is going to agree with every style of hunting. And so you get, you know, trophy hunting gets put out there and there's that that's, people will target that big time. Um, but, but they don't do any research on it. You know, they, they don't see the benefits that come from it. And or big game or hunting. Big game yeah. Hunting. Which is, which, which is conflated with right. trophy. Or, I mean, it's, or predator I don't, hunting. I mean, yeah. Just all of it. Like people yeah. just really, they don't, they don't see their research. They see a grip and grin photo and they're so turned off by it. And, you know, honestly, they're uneducated and they're, they're really not going to take the time to educate themselves. A lot of them don't. Um, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the people who respond to people like that and try to educate them, whether than say you're right and I'm wrong, because that's the response that 
that person is giving to them, you know? So the people that don't Mm -hmm. give that back, but rather, you know, have try to educate them and, and I guess be the bigger person or however you want to, however you want to say it is, but it just, it's tough. Like we, what did we talk about that? Uh, Idaho game commissioner the other day. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, and the the thing is though it wasn't social but media. But it was a photo I, I, that he sent in an in email, an email that got passed out, which is now crazy. It's on, like, now it's on social huge. media. Uh, now it is, yeah. But it it's kind of like an invasion of privacy. Right. Like I understand, like the the nature of emails are very different than social media, and I think even still you can justify posting, let's say, the controversial group and grants if it's a legal hunt, mm-hmm. of course. I think if you if you explain the reasoning, it's a tasteful, artful picture. By all means, you could post. There's actually uh, an op-ed that was released in the Lynchburg News and Advance paper of a lady who was echoing Humane Society of America, uh, something against like bear hunting. You'll have to check this out, but it's really it kind of started conversations in our state uh, about predator or nuisance hunting in respect with respect to the black bear and how she was so disgusted to hear that uh, there is black bear hunting going on. So like, I feel like that New Jersey conversation is happening, starting yeah. to happen in our state, which is crazy. And and the wildlife biologists have said like, we need help culling the bear population. I actually saw a black bear on my way to trout fishing. It was a yearling crossing the street, beautiful creature, like undeterred, but it was okay. And it charged, you know, went hiding and went up the hill, but it was really cool to see. And they're everywhere. And, but uh, the I think the Game of the Fisheries has said that like there's 17,000 and they want hunters to t- uh, help cull the numbers, maybe take about 2,000 ideally to help manage the population. And so it, we're going to see these conversations more so. And I think you'll have a good handle on if you're ever to harvest a bear and, and publicly post about it. And we have to, all of us, like whether we're ambassadors or just regular folks doing what we like to do and, and justifying our hunts. I think you can present it in a tasteful manner uh, and you're still going to uh, get some oppositions. Of course, that's just anything. Uh, and th- they'll try to flag your content. Get it yeah, removed, that's crazy. Too. And then, and then leave up like pornography mm-hmm. and actually controversial rule breaking type of material that should get you off social media, but a, an artful taste, tasteful picture of a bear hunt or an elk hunt or even a hog hunt. I even get like, I had someone tell me like, how dare you hunt pheasant? And I'm like, that shouldn't be controversial. Right, right. <laughs> They're like, that's an over, that's an oversimplified expensive chicken. I'm right. like, I don't yeah, think I've you, never heard. I got never to go hunting for yet. free. Yeah. <laughs> I got to do it for free. So it was not an expensive over, yeah. <laughs> overstated chicken. It was, but it's, it's interesting how they react. And I mean, I haven't had any crazy responses. Like I've always, I mean, I'm new to it, so I've only just posted, like, the ducks I've gotten or, like, pheasants, but I can imagine if I start to post, like, deer or bear, it could get crazy. Not that it should. If you explain, like, calmly and collectively, like, this is what our state encourages. Like, they want us to help cull the population or this kind of stuff. And I think if you explain your reasoning, people may have a change of heart. But if you just say, like, hey, look at this, I got this. Not that uh, uh, certain people should have attacks leveled at them because they post the pictures but maybe the way they caption things triggers people and it kind of brings stuff and then they don't understand or some celebrity catches hold of it and then it just goes viral and some people are just going to be there's that extreme out there they're just going to be triggered no matter what the only time I've ever gotten any hate on social media was on a bear that I shot and that was it 
I've never got any hate on deer or anything like that, but mm-hmm. a bear for sure. Bears are big and cougars. Yeah. Big subject <laughs> for people, you know? Um, yeah. Cause, the, cause they think Walt Disney right. There's, and Disney movies. Do you listen movies. to the hunting collective at all? I have heard of that. It's a really yeah. good podcast, but they really touch on that quite a big time or a lot about how we've Disney-fied the bear. Um, oh, yes. And that's why. As a, yeah. Yeah, as, as Lauren Hill calls it, the uh, I love this, and I, I have to give her proper attribution for this, but she calls it the hierarchy of cuteness. So the cuter the animal, such as the bear or a tiger yeah, or whatever. Yeah, nobody's standing up for turkeys. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <Right>. they're ugly. <laughs> They're, Although yeah, their they're feathers are really beautiful. beautiful. They're crazy colors. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Like but but yeah, the, the uglier yeah. the animal, people don't really care. But the cuter or supposedly cuter, like a bear, it's so cuddly. I mean, I've pet bear cubs. I love them. They're great animals. They help balance nature and all that. But they're dangerous animals. And if they're not properly managed, you can have the ungulate species or the species below bear, like the sheep, deer, things of that sort. They can get wiped out. So people don't see right. that easy, easily. But yeah, social media is interesting. But it does lead to good things. Like right. Trips, like it, what it, we it's have getting and, bad. And many things. It's open to everybody and yeah. everyone's going to have an opinion. And you know what? The younger gen- generations, they're on social media apps that we don't even know about. And I know like Go Wild um, – they're great. They're, we love and Go they Wild. Have a ton yeah. of kids on their yes, app. the thirteen to seventeen demographic. So that's I think that's a really neat thing because it it gives um, those kids a, an opportunity to start out on social media to talk about hunting, share about hunting, and nobody's nobody's bashing mm-hmm. on them for uh, posting a grip and grin or to yes ask about where to hunt or talk about getting into hunting or just any of that you know stuff but support and so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that that has been really cool. Um, and then <laughs> as far as Instagram and Facebook, it just, it just <laughs> is what it is. I, I really don't see it changing for the better when Facebook and Instagram are censoring so much on uh, like they're, sh- yeah, they're it's- obviously showing their own message uh, uh, on how they feel about stuff. So people do are do a pretty, feel like people do a pretty good job of that lately um like the mm-hmm. people try to portray uh people at least in the industry um seems like that's a pretty big thing now to try to mm-hmm. um show every aspect of it you know you know yeah. whether it's it's the grip and grin the the antlers the heart the various organs the the field dressing all the, the various and aspects. just so like the hard meal. work, the whole adventure of it, yeah. the being outdoors, just like sunrise, yeah, absolutely all of it. So, um, yeah, people think it's just a it's just a harvest, and you very well know it's it's a full fledged experience, right, right? And I think that's what most people are kind of looking for. Honestly, I know there's a lot of people that say I just hunt for meat, and I I heard a guy say this on a podcast the other day, and I kind of laughed because he's like. Yeah, my brother just got into hunting and he was like, and I never expected him to do it, blah, blah, blah. But he just hunts for the meat and that's it. And he's going on, and he's like, he's going on his first bow hunt in Colorado. I'm like, okay, you cannot say you strictly hunt for the meat and that's all you care about if you're going on a bow hunt in Colorado. Right. Hey, you wouldn't bow hunt if you were strictly a meat hunter because that's just not the easiest way to harvest your meat. Um, Mm -hmm. You would be a rifle hunter because that's probably going to be 
easier than bow hunting and you wouldn't go to Colorado. You know, you want the adventure. And I think it's okay to say, yes, I want the adventure. Like I want to go to Colorado. I want to be in the Rockies. I want to, you know, I want the challenge of taking an elk with my bow or whatever it is. And I think that that's totally okay. And people should be free to express that. They don't have to say, I do it. I do it just mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, you do it for you everything, do it for all of it, right? Yes, that's very true. So, speaking of hunting, you have some upcoming trips. You have an elk hunt, if I'm not mistaken, back in Oregon, and then you're going to try to do some deer. We have to get together in the field finally because I know we had we were planning to do it. And yeah, then some yeah, stuff happened really on your end. Do a deer hunt. We absolutely, we absolutely should. But yeah, talk about what hunts you have coming up. What you look most forward to and what you and maybe you can also add what wild game you have not harvested and would like to harvest either here in Virginia or elsewhere um so I have an elk hunt next up um I have an elk hunt back home in Oregon um I drew tags uh for a rifle hunt and so I'm going with uh, my brother and then a good friend of mine back there um and that's, it's just, uh, let's see, 10, 11, 12, 34 days. It's five days. The season's opens for five, for five days. So, uh, public wow. land hunt. So it, sh- it should be pretty fun. So I'll be back home and I'll get to see my family and stuff like that. Um, and I have, even though I grew up in Oregon, I have yet to take an elk. So fingers Ooh. crossed that this will be my year. Um, yes. If not, you know, I'm, I'm pumped no matter what to go. Uh, that's what I'm most excited about. I love elk meat. They're huge, beautiful animals. Um, and we'll have to go check out the herd in our state. Yeah. I, <laughs> Cause yeah, they are everywhere. Do that. Um, I want to take my son for that. Um, yes. And then I have, I'm, I have a couple friends here that I want to take out, um, hunting. I know me and my sister are going to go hunting in North Carolina, a white tail hunt. And then I have another girlfriend here who wants to get out. I'm going to try to get out with her. Um, and that's it really is just a, a whitetail hunt. I would really like to do some waterfowl hunting, um, this winter as well. So we'll see, we'll see Well, I can talk to Caitlin and Ari and see if they want to. We yeah. can collaborate again, maybe do some snow geese and hopefully no, no bomb cyclones. So we can actually hunt in Virginia instead of paying the North Carolina fee for a temporary. Right. You have it. Yeah. But it's, it's yeah. For a, uh, for like a short term, I've never heard of it. Like Maryland's is cheaper than North Carolina for a short term hunt. Really? You don't have to do like 10 days for a one day hunt. Oh, like I think right. Maryland's is like, a, it's yeah. North Carolina's is a little ridiculous in terms of the exchange rate. Right. Um, but that's okay. But I don't think we'll have that crazy weather storm like we did earlier this yeah, year. Well, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Yes. Yes. Waterfowl are not uh, bluebird sky hunts usually, so no, it's okay if we get a little bad weather. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no. Go ahead. Any other particular water was, or well, wild? I was game? trying to think of like what what is the hunt? I think right. We have black bear here, and yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, like what I what's the hunt that I would want to do that. Besides, oh, that you haven't done, haven't done. Yes. I really, I after this, I would really love to just go um, elk hunting with Justin, with my husband, because yeah, he never gets the chance to hunt. And I know that's like the one thing he wants to do, 
Is Bill Elkany. Yes, he should do stuff. They, they have, um, if you talk to like Christy Titus or Jana Waller, and I'll make sure if, if you're, if you don't have their ear now, I'll make sure you do. But they do a lot with um, veterans or active right. duty. So maybe he can get a sponsor trip. No problem. No, right. no questions asked. Well, I asked. know that this year, because he can't, it's really just that time of year just never works out. And this year he cannot do any hunting trips. Um, mm-hmm. He can't even go down North Carolina <laughs> with us this year. So next year we talked about it and um, I, I, I'd rather just tag along with him than anything next year that's like so that's my big goal like the next big hunt I want to do good uh, big elk hunt because that would mean a lot to me so yeah that's that's bad. that's a very that's a very amiable goal and I hope he does because he deserves it and he he definitely will love the thrill of it yeah uh, from what yeah. everyone has said about elk hunting that it's it's just this awe-inspiring experience i hope yeah. one year i can experience it's, it too but in in the meantime we'll go enjoy photographing them and seeing them yeah yeah it will definitely wine. go on a whitetail hunt because i i have quite a few places yes. if you don't want to do public land like i actually have quite a few places um at least in the last year that have offered uh private land to go whitetail hunting so excellent like we could definitely make it happen yeah. For sure, and we can. Oh, make for it sure, happen. we'll make we it until we'll... January, so we can make it happen this year if you want to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. My my hunting season is open right now. Nothing is concrete, so I'm game for anything. Okay. Well, we will seriously plan this after we get <laughs> off this. Okay. Yes. Oh, for sure. So I want to conclude the podcast with asking you: How can everyone connect with you? Can they donate to you financially? Can they support you? Pledge to support you because you do so much, and. Now, I'm not just saying this as your friend and someone who supports your efforts, but I feel like people could really seriously help you. If I had more money, I would donate more money. I've donated a little bit in the past, but how can people help you? How can they get involved? Uh, and, and how can they connect with you most importantly? Um, people, if people want to support them, they can definitely support us. Um, monetary donations <laughs> or, or donating gear or even um, just getting the word out. Maybe it's just getting the word out to a family that you know that needs some gear or something like that. Or maybe you know somebody else who might be, might be able to help um, more so than yourself or however it is. Uh, we have a website, raisemoutdoors.com, or you can find us on um, Facebook and Instagram. And I run those, so I'm, I'm pretty quick to reply usually. Um, I've been kind of slow in my emails because they've been insane. Hunting season is always the busiest. Um, <laughs> and then if people just want to get involved, like we're, we're definitely looking for people who are very serious about getting involved with raising outdoors, whether they want to start something in their state and it's something that they're willing to really take on Um full time and we're talking volunteer full time how you know however much time they can donate to it whether it is starting out with a kid program in their area or they really want to start um some camps or classes or something like that um you know just reach out to me my email which you can just reach out to me through the website through our contact form um that goes straight to my email so but yeah if it's either way we're we're looking for volunteers who you know, whether it's, gosh, I feel like we could really use help in all areas. Uh, it's really right now, it's just myself, um, a few mentors, and then I have uh, the people in Oregon that help me out. Um, they, they really help run the Oregon 
I guess it's not a chapter officially yet, but that's what they're doing. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, whatever you want to bring to the table, I'm all ears. Yes. We'll make sure that through this podcast and all my social channels that everyone can support you somehow, whether or not they're in Virginia or Oregon, I think more people will get interested as, as this continues to spread because it's a good thing. You're doing a really good thing with all the stuff that you're currently involved in. And I know you have some really cool special projects. I won't reveal what it is, but I'm so excited for your one special project that you have and, and all that you're, you're doing wonderful things. And I hope the industry does take note of it. And I think they will, and they should, and, and I'll do a Q and a with you for sporting classics, because I think it's more than appropriate to do it there and, and get you some more exposure, but whatever I can do, I want to help you in. I appreciate you coming on District of Conservation to even further detail what you're up to and what Raise Them Outdoors does. And you do really phenomenal work. And I hope more people support you through this podcast and in any way uh, that they can, because you deserve it. And I hope it continues to grow all your, all your efforts. Well, thank you. And thank you. you know, thanks for having yeah. me on. And, you know, back at you. Thanks for uh, starting this podcast. And thanks for all you do to shine the good light on uh, hunting and fishing. So. Yeah, and, and in our metro or in our region, because I feel like we don't get enough love in our region, all of us uh, who come here from, from other places. And it's a beautiful area, and I think you're trying to add to that dynamic, too. And it's so good that we can come here and, and make it better. I think people don't appreciate their surroundings that much, especially this region. And uh, you're doing a good job to make it a better place. Oh, thank say. you. Back at you. hmm Yes. So for everyone listening, be sure to connect with Erin. We're going to include the appropriate links and ways for you to connect with her, whether it's to financially support Raisin Outdoors, donate gear, apparel, things of that sort. And we'll make sure you guys can lend your support however you can. If you want to volunteer in the future camps, we'll have that information later. And I want to thank Erin again for joining us on this lengthy podcast, but I think it's it's a fun podcast. You get to see more people along the lines of how they really are beyond social media and, and kind of see the name to the face. So Aaron, again, I really appreciate you coming on. Yep. Thank you, Gabby. That was episode eight with the wonderful Aaron Crooks. I'm so grateful. She joined on to talk about her story, her organization, the challenges she believes that can arise from not involving people in, especially kids in the great outdoors. So if you liked what you heard, Follow us on social media across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find us across many different platforms, but especially if you have Apple iTunes, be sure to do all those proactive things there. We'd really appreciate it. We want to get this out there to more people. So we will have more interesting policy discussions, awesome guests, and other interesting tidbits coming your way related to conservation in and around the nation's capital.